Hi, I'm Joanne Woodson, a solo practitioner specializing in commercial leasing law. I've been a lawyer for a long time, and I know that there's a lot to wrap your head around when it comes to commercial leasing. The goal of my podcast, the Commercial Leasing Diva Podcast, is to make your lives as commercial leasing professionals easier and more fun. In the podcast, I speak to other commercial leasing professionals who share their expertise so that we can all improve our commercial leasing game and better serve our clients. It was my pleasure to speak with Rhonda Diaz for this week's episode. Rhonda has over 30 years of experience in retail and restaurant leasing in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's consistently recognized for her role in the top restaurant and retail deals of the year. Um, She has been honored as one of San Francisco's most influential women in commercial real estate. Rhonda has spent many years with major commercial leasing brokerage firms in the Bay Area, including uh, Cushman and Wakefield and Jones Lang LaSalle. However, recently Rhonda has pivoted and is working as an independent commercial leasing broker. Just a side note, I wanted to let everyone know that this interview was recorded well before the rampant closures that we're seeing in the Union Square area the foreclosure with Westfield Center, closure of Nordstrom's, etc. So while we do talk about the declining retail environment in San Francisco, um, those events had not yet occurred and so aren't addressed. I'll certainly be looking forward to talking to folks in the future about them. Enjoy the episode. I think you do retail and restaurant basically in the San Francisco Bay Area, is that right? Yeah, I head up our uh, food and beverage, um, hospitality, and entertainment practice here at JLL. Um, I am based in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, uh, Much of my work is here in the the greater San Francisco area, anywhere from San Jose all the way up to Napa and Sonoma Valleys. We, uh, we also work with a number of clients that are looking in other like-kind metropolitan areas, such as LA, New York, Chicago, Miami, and so on. Awesome. What attracted you to retail and restaurant? Yeah, I'm a really visual and creative person. I actually started out in office uh, brokerage, but um, you know, retail is very uh, creative. It's very visual. My skills lend themselves to projects that haven't been necessarily done before very good at helping initiate new things. And, and mm-hmm. as we know, retail is ever changing and uh, every project is absolutely different. Every restaurant, every retailer is absolutely right. a new project that there, there are no cookie cutter retail deals. Right, right, right. As opposed to office where even if their businesses are different, their office needs, at, at least until the advent of high tech was pretty vanilla and generic. Whereas retail, yeah. you really have to know the client's business so that you can understand what their space is gonna look like. True, yeah, and, and we in retail we do, and entertainment, food and beverage, we, you know, we, we study people and I'm fascinated by people. So why do they do the things that they do? Why did they go here and not go there? And retailers and people in the food and beverage world look at those things. You know, if we build it, will they come? And will they come here for next door to this person versus next door to that person? And, right. and um, it's and so on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's fun. I like to, I like having fun. How about that? <laughs> so to, to segue to a non-fun topic, 
obviously retail and restaurant was very hard hit by the pandemic. What are you seeing as we're coming out of that? Are you seeing any shifts in, in the way retail and restaurant leases are set up, organized in terms of economics? Yeah, you know, everybody, we have to differentiate those first six to eight months versus what followed. So net okay. absorption in uh, 2021 was higher than 2019. We just got our 2022 numbers nationwide and net absorption in 2022 for retail, which includes food and beverage, was double what it was in 2019. So wow. net, net absorption in 2019 was approximately 38 million square feet. And uh, 2022 was a banner year with nearly 76 million square feet of space leased. Wow. Yeah. What do, you, what do you attribute that to? Was it pent up demand, things put on hold during the pandemic? I think that the pandemic cleaned the slate. So all those things that were hanging on, I mean, there were the, the, the pandemic affected businesses at, that went out of business uh, right. forever. And that, right. that's sad, but it also cleared the slate um, tremendously. And, uh, it, and there was, you know, maybe some of that was long overdue. We were kind of in the heyday of consumerism right. going out. Right. And, you know, we were having a lot of fun. And so things were just sort of ri riding that wave. Right. Um, so the, it was an excuse uh, 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 for many just we wanted to clean the slate. Well, let's right. do it. So there, there was right. some of that. I think right. reinvention, um, you know, remember in 2008, 2009, when we came out of that, it's all the new things that we never thought of before, uh, the ride sharing, the, the sharing economy and so on emerged. And we have uh, seen a, a big reinvention in retail as well. And, uh, it, it, you know, development stopped uh, right. at, it, at, its, at the pace that it was at before. It didn't stop, but it slowed. Right, 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 right. So what are some of these hallmarks of reinvention that you're seeing in your sector? Mm. Um, you know, in the food and beverage and hospitality world, uh, we have gone beyond the, the, the celebrity chef. And we are uh, I, I, around the world we're seeing uh, the integration of learning with food and beverage, um, a lot of theater and experiential with food and beverage, oh, a lot of so messaging. Give an example so, of an experiential restaurant experience. Like, what does that mean? Well, I'll give you sort of an extreme one that we experienced in while well, we were in Copenhagen. It's a restaurant called The Alchemist. And it's, you know, it's got a waiting list. It's very long and it's very expensive to go there. But in addition to your meal, you uh, are presented with a, th uh, a 3D virtual dome and a big uh, movie screen. And there is social messaging about uh, food and our environment. And, you know, what, what do we, what can we do to contribute? Right. Um, uh, it, this is a, it's, there's more, impact that many of these entrepreneurs and creative folks are looking for besides just the pretty display on the plate. Right. right I was right. at a, another restaurant up in uh, Healdsburg recently and same thing, you know, the, 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 the chef at Cyrus was just so approachable and, and uh, the kitchen was on theater. Um, right. So this is like an open um, kitchen concept where yeah, you're really might, way, way beyond that. It's a new way. Extreme version of that. Yeah. And then just much more approachable. 
not so right. intimidating and uh, and hidden in the vault. Um, so that's one thing. And you know, we could translate that to retail as well, where it's the messaging about their impact uh, um, and diversity inclusion and their social awareness and uh, where is where is the sourcing come from? Uh, in addition to the beautiful merchandising and design that goes into their stores. Right. I mean, Recycling. you see that now, right, even in red carpet where people are talking about sustainable fashion, you know, re-wearing, reusing, recutting existing designs as opposed to everything has to be fresh off the rack. All of them, all of them are into this space. Right, right, interesting. And yeah. so you mentioned social media. It seems in retail and restaurants, social media has just become, I know back in the day when I started, when the dinosaurs were roaming the earth, social media, we didn't have it, you've never heard of it. But now it seems like it has to be a cornerstone of any of these types of businesses. I, I can't really speak to their uh, social media strategy. Uh, we all know though, that is the wave and, and the uh, brand endorsement comes from people we've never heard of before that are now influencers and followers and you know have jillions of followers and so on. So yeah, it seems like that's uh, definitely a part of the strategy and it's here to stay. Right. However, so, I do not ahead. like it when people are in a restaurant taking jillions of pictures of their food. <laughs> uh, I mean, you have to wonder sometimes how much is are you having an experience as opposed to just photographing your life and not paying attention to the experience. You're going there for the experience. Experience right. it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so in this series of talking to brokers, I've been talking a lot about letters of intent. So for a restaurant letter of intent in particular, what are what would you say are the top three items going into that negotiation that you're particularly concerned about? Well, there's the terms, the economic terms. Uh, there's the who does what, and right. then there's the timing. Right. Right. So in terms of restaurants, that tends to be a very capital intensive endeavor. So what are you, but at the same time, we know restaurants have a very high failure rate. Like some, is it like 50% of restaurants fail in their first year, something like that? You know, I don't know what the recent number is. And that is that, you know, that has been around for decades. Okay. Uh, however, maybe, maybe you know, they are the new, they have been, this is no new news. They have been the anchor, the junior anchor of projects for, for many years. They are right. the draw. They are the foot traffic driver. They right. are the branding of a project, whether it's right. a traditional center or a hotel or a mixed use project, a residential project or, or right. an office building. They right. brand it. They're very right. important. If they're a standalone, the economics tend to work a little bit different than if they are part of a bigger project, right. uh, because of the the, you know, the so the the contribution from a landlord may be more generous if there are other attributes and advantages that a particular um, operator or concept brings to a project. Right. So are restaurants at the letter of intent stage? Do they tend to focus on exit strategies? So something like, if I don't reach a certain gross sales threshold within this period of time, I would have a termination, right? Or do you not really see that? No, I don't see that uh, a lot. We see some of it and it works both ways. Some landlords uh, also try to include that if, 
you know, we're investing a lot of money here and, and it's based on, we have some base rent, but primarily we're counting on a level of confidence of your percentage rents. So right. and if we don't get into those percentage rents, then maybe we, we need to think of alternatives, but um, it is not really the focus, uh, the primary focus of most letters of intent. You know, uh, developers and restaurateurs are eternally optimistic. It's just amazing. <laughs> it is a lot of work. Right. And there's still high demand in both arenas. Right. right, right, exactly. Are you seeing, especially in San Francisco, which was particularly hard hit by the pandemic, any type of concession with regard to if there's a future lockdown because of COVID or for some other reason that the tenant would get some sort of a break on rent? I am not seeing a lot of that uh, in either retail or food and beverage. Um, it does. It there. It is still an uh, an item, but it is not one that I'm, in my transactions where people are spending a lot of energy on. This to me is one of the most fascinating um, aspects of the pandemic because I had predicted totally wrongly that this would be something that would become a provision that we would be negotiating all the time, and this would just be a new and letters of intent and leases that you would have to give them a break. And you're saying what I'm hearing most people say, which is even though it's clear that the restaurant retail will take a hit if there's a lockdown, that landlords are not giving any concessions really in that regard. But yeah, one cause that we are seeing, you know, there are um, continuing operation clauses and in some uh um, loans. There are uh, um, an operator is in default if they close, and if you know if the municipality demands that you close, and that triggers default, that's you know your your. Uh, it seems uh, there should be a carve out for government mandated shutdowns. Yeah, so we will see some um, you know a, a, a re redefinition of. Def of closing and it leading to uh, being defined as a default. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Um, so when you're reviewing letters of intent and helping your clients look at letters of intent, um, what are some of the big mistakes you see people making that you're like, oh, I think you should think about that. Maybe we should go back with something else. You know, most people are, are more aware of the timing uh, that it takes to open a store or open a restaurant or a theater. Right. Um, and even their best predict, uh, predictions tend to get extended um, right. for one, you know, for just one reason or another. And the other, uh, I would say, are other things that are out of folks' control are construction costs. So right. you do your best to estimate what you think this will take to build out. Uh, the deal lingers on uh, through the lease negotiations and then you know six months later construction costs have gone up 30 percent and right. so we experienced we experienced uh, a little bit too much of that last year i would say yes but yes. so what to, to pay it that they don't pay attention to it's it's just that there are um a lot of moving parts and many of them change within a matter of months mm -hmm. that are beyond anybody's control so what happens in that scenario? I mean, if the lease is already signed, 
you're obligated as the tenant to build out what you said you would build out. And so is the landlord, if the landlord agreed to do stuff. And if the costs have increased, I mean, typically everyone's like, just that's life. But do you see any kind of retrades going on at that point? Well, this is where we dive into human nature. I mean, there's retakes, retrades, you know, at the last hour of the lease of something like this comes up. And, right. and are we dealing with uh, reasonable parties and mature adults who have the ability? Sometimes the decision makers are controlled by higher forces, the lender, the equity partner, and so on. Uh, right. But reasonable people, th this is a long-term relationship. And reasonable people try and find a long-term solution. Right. Try to figure out a way. And some of those, right. like I assume landlord maybe uh, could loan the tenant some money and then it would be paid back over time. There's different strategies that people can employ to solve that. Correct. It, yeah. It, or it's added onto the top of the lease or the percentage rent formula structure changes. So yeah, you get your creative hat on and those with the experience on all of the, 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 um, puzzle pieces that we can pull from, try and just rearrange the puzzle and make it all fit together again and, and work. Right, right, right. So in looking at San Francisco in particular, I mean, the headlines are pretty gloomy and doomy with crime going up, remote work having an impact on foot traffic. Um, what impact is that having on deals in San Francisco? Well, jo Joanna, you know, I, I haven't really heard of any of those headlines. What are you referring to? <laughs> these headlines all over the world it's amazing um yeah. Yeah. and i i feel like san francisco is a um you know just kind of one city that, that the headlines like to pick on so i, I do okay. think that that is out there um okay. but it's a high profile city and and people are interested in what's going on here so san francisco is one of the vital dots on the map for uh, uh retailers that want the, to, to plant a flag in urban markets so okay. You know, we, we, we're still getting deals done here. It has yeah. slowed and uh, our return to office has had an impact, especially on those financial district restaurant tours and the, you know, those that are dependent on walk-by traffic, the smaller sandwich shops and so on. Right. Um, but then, you know, this is a, always has been a city of reinvention and right. uh, creativity and entrepreneurship. So there, there's some new things that'll be announced that are, are getting worked out. Oh, that's very good. I mean, I know that, you know, the mayor's office and other um, entities within the San Francisco government has been working really hard to strategize and to figure out how to solve some of these problems. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, if we keep trying, we, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Right. I don't have the answer for you today. <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> has the answer. So I like to close out by asking, you know, some of the people watching this will be new brokers. What would you say to them in terms of getting started in, particularly in retail and restaurant? Like, what are some of your top tips about if you're a broker, how to break into this area? And one of the things that I think I always say to people is, you know, you really need to understand your clients. So, you, you know, one of the great things for me about retail and restaurant is I'm a connoisseur, a, a consumer of those things. And so that's a little bit easier, you know, if I would say you have to have a real passion for it, and which obviously you do. Uh, so, but what are some of your tips to new brokers trying to get into this area? Well, I, I agree with you. And that's exactly where, um, where, where I go is uh, with my advice is um, to learn to be a master of 
many things, be a master of one. So pick one. And if you're passionate about it, even better. If you find it fun to do in your spare time, even better. My life naturally led me into the food and beverage world with our association with the wine industry and so on and so forth. It was just a natural unfolding. And it is fun. Uh, is it the furniture industry? Pick one, understand right. your customer, understand how that industry works, then pick another and pick your right. top five. And right. then you'll, you'll develop skills that are translatable into other industries so that you're, you're not um, so too narrowly focused. So we need to remain diverse given all the things that change constantly. Right. But yeah, find, pick one, dive in, uh, something you have fun at and be passionate about and we'll study you know, in your spare time and become, become an expert in that and then move on to others. Right. Understand exactly. your customer, exactly uh, what you started out with. Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the things that people may not appreciate is you have to understand a lot about your customer. How do they use the space? How will they build out the space? How long does it typically to, you know, how much experience do they have? Is this their hundredth restaurant? Is there, is this their first restaurant? Right? Yeah. And yeah, you have exactly. to kind of calibrate your advice depending on how sophisticated your client is. Right. But come up that you're learning curve first and then associate, yeah. you know, many folks ask, oh, who is your mentor? So on. <laughs> well, I don't know if I had an exact mentor, but you know, pick some folks that you admire and that are masters of what they do and watch them. I'd say in the retail arena as well, um, retail is about people and sociology. Uh, and it's fascinating. So watch people and try and understand why did they do what they do and why do they go there versus over here? And, that, and then would, the really fun part is then you start to see you start to see and anticipate trends. Right, right. Yeah, I remember when I went to ICSC several years ago and they were just perfecting the technology where, you know, they are tracking the consumers by their cell phones. Oh, they went into the gap and then they went to the food yeah. court. Then yeah. they went to the Lululemon store then they, and, you know, they collect massive, massive amounts of data to figure all this out. And of course, yeah. you think you're a mall, no one's paying attention to you. You're just floating around doing whatever. These patterns emerge. Right. And we have so, so much technology out there to back us up and really to back up what some of us kind of sense intuitively. Um, but when we do those studies and we do a lot of them for retailers and, and restaurants and entertainment folks, and developers and and you know we the they a lot of it does back up what we watch by observing and sensing and just our experience but then there's always the surprise um the void that we didn't catch um and so there we have this uh this great technology to help us understand markets and um the revenue potential and, and risk of opening a store Okay, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Any more we're thoughts? We're having so much fun. <laughs> it sounds like you're very excited about the future, that you feel like San Francisco's turning around, retail and, and restaurant sounds like they're doing great, despite we see a lot of gloomy headlines about retail and restaurant. But what I'm yeah, hearing well, you, you know, say I mean, is that's you, not you, based on reality. Well, that's what sells the news. That's what sells right. are these gloomy headlines. But, you know, retail net absorption was the highest in five years. Uh, and I don't think that that's hitting the headlines. Um, right. I believe in the, the, the spirit of entrepreneurship and rejuvenation and reinvention. And we are coming out of the pandemic. And that's exactly what we're seeing. The, right. um, 
you know, we said we have a war, uh, rising interest rates. There's still a lot of uncertainty out there. Um, but I, I do believe in the human spirit and retail and uh, hospitality really is a translation of that. Well, I think one, in a sense, positive thought of the pandemic was that people just are dying to be social, right? They're dying to go to restaurants. They're dying to go shopping in a real store. Whereas before it seemed the trend was like online, online. And there's obviously that's continuing, but there's just this pent up demand to just be social and just be with other people. Well, the top retail categories of, the, of all the retail categories in 2022, the top retail category for opening was was restaurants, in particular QSRs, and then be, be, uh, behind that was entertainment. Lots of great new entertainment concepts, integrating technology and virtual reality, and right. and, and, and and what we mentioned before, a restaurant that now includes a theater experience or an educational experience along right. with food. Right. 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 Food halls oh. continue to flourish in urban areas. It's not so right. well in so suburban and uh, financial districts, but they really were pretty resilient through the um, uh, through the pandemic. And what's emerging, you know, the, the food hall was still a relatively young, although they've been in Europe for you know hundreds of years, right. I guess. But, exactly. Uh, but they were kind of new here, and they're they're still evolving. Some people don't even want to call them a food hall anymore. But they um, they oh, they were like very the ferry building in San Francisco. I mean, it's evolving. Food hall <laughs> seems uh, yeah. like a very lowbrow name for what's <laughs> what you get in the ferry building. I mean, in terms of the quality of fresh produce and the bakeries yeah. and the restaurants, and just amazing. Yeah, the, we haven't stopped eating. We haven't stopped wanting to be around each other and socialize, and people watch um, and uh, and feel like we're part of a community. Well, we have. Uh, they just launched in Reno, uh, where I live. Reno Public Market. And it is sort of a combination of food hall, entertainment space, but also kind of like a sports bar because there's very big screens. Like, so for the Super Bowl, they had a big party where you can come and watch. But, you know, one of the ways they're trying to get people in is um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday evenings, happy hour time, they'll have a live DJ or they, and they've got a stage set up in the middle of this food hall where people can, you know, go hear live music or dance and, you know, get their beats from the various vendors. And then they have artisanal, um, you know, kiosks kind of where people are selling art and uh, other artisanal products. And so I'm very interested to see, uh, and, you know, it's, it's in a, in a strip because there's like a CVS, a Sprouts. I mean, so this was a re- jiggering of like an old-fashioned strip center and they're trying to sort of raise the quality of the tenants and um so we'll see it the few times i've been it's been very popular very it's popular. fun isn't it yeah you know the the uh movie the theater and um and music venues in particular were up uh foot traffic was up 52 percent last year and wow. theaters have really reinvented themselves. This is not just about movies. This is about events. This is about corporate events. This is about watching the Tour de France and the soccer games in real time, even if right. it's a, you know some godly hour of the morning. Um, <laughs> the old, the, you know, film noir and old theater and film study and all this kind of fun stuff for ongoing learning and and right. studying history and so on. So they're, they're just. And plus they, they, they were integrating the food before the pandemic and they're doing that even more. The other thing I'll leave you with is that um, 
the retail transactions in 2022 exceeded the tw our 2019 levels uh, by almost double. And, wow. uh, and 2019, most think, was a really stellar year. And that right. uh, we, we also see retailers continuing to go to, to smaller footprints. And that's what right. we predict to continue through 2023. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing that too. Absolutely. Are okay, you, well, thank you so much, Rhonda. I'm glad we finally connected. And as always, I value your um, experience and insight into this sector, which, you know, between us is my favorite. <laughs> well, we'll have to go out and get, grab a dinner sometime, Joanne. Uh, it's when always... 80 is enclosed with a blizzard and I can get over the pass again. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always a great uh, pleasure to connect with you. And I really admire the work you're doing and, and this new thing that you're launching. I wish you well, a lot thanks. of luck. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye. I'm Joanne Woodsum. Thanks for listening to the Commercial Leasing Diva podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, rate and review us, like and subscribe. You know the drill. The podcast is produced and edited by Matthew Salanoa. The Commercial Leasing Diva podcast is sponsored in part by Commercial Leasing Law Seminars. If you want to learn more about commercial leasing, and why wouldn't you? Please check out my e-courses by visiting my website, www.jleasinglaw.com. And right now we have three courses, two on the dreaded AIR lease form and drafting the addendum, and then a five-week course on commercial leasing basics, which takes a deep dive into letters of intent for commercial leases. Hope to see you in one of the classes. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you next time.